This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Merry Christmas, everybody. Let's hear it again for the kids and the New Life staff. That was... So I I want to press into a question, and for those of you who are new, my name is Ron. I'm the founding pastor of New Life, and for the next 20 minutes or so, I'm just going to press into a question, and I want the question to sit with you, and that is, so what is it about Christmas that lights up the whole world? What is it about this day? What is it about this season that, that causes us to write crazy songs like Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer that causes us to write songs that are soul-stirring like Oh Holy Night and sort of everything in between. Is it really Frosty the Snowman? Is it really Santa Claus? Is it really the Christmas tree? Is it really the presents? Or is there something way down underneath all of that that's actually worth celebrating? Is there some real substance there? And I know in the song we just heard sung, the answer is, all well, Jesus is always the answer, right? But let's dig into that a little bit. And I, I want to start by just reading the Christmas story to us. And the Christmas story goes like this. I'm reading from Luke. About that time, Caesar Augustus ordered a census to be taken throughout the empire. Now, the Roman Empire was was all the countries that encircled the Mediterranean Sea. So it was pretty much all of the known civilized world to the Romans. Everyone had to travel to his own ancestral hometown to be accounted for. Aren't you glad the U.S. doesn't take census like that? Where you and I would have to travel to whatever town we were born in just to register. But that's what they had to do. So Joseph went from the Galilee town of Nazareth, which was way up in the north part of the the country of Israel, up to Bethlehem, which is down in the south. So why does it say up? Because Bethlehem is up in the mountains and Nazareth is down in the valley. So he went to Bethlehem and Judah, David's town for the census, As a descendant of David, he had to go there. So he went with Mary, his fiancée, who was pregnant. I just want to pause right there. Because we live in this day and age, and our subconscious mind sort of translates that into Joseph tenderly loading Mary into the SUV and taking a little jaunt to Bethlehem. No, this was not an SUV. More than likely, it was a donkey. And when I put myself in their place, my heart breaks. I I can't imagine saying to Monica, my wife, who's eight plus months pregnant, hey, babe, can I help you get on this donkey? And we're going to ride 75 miles on a dusty, dirty road at about 10 miles a day 
And Mary would take that for as long as she could take it. And then she would say to Joseph, we got to stop. I can't take any more of this. And to do that every day for a whole week. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Christmas didn't have the best of memories for Mary. What do you think? Yeah, that was pretty nasty. That's what he did. He went with Mary, his fiancée, who was pregnant. By the way, why did he take her? Well, because in the town where they lived, Mary was considered asleep around. And she had the audacity to say to the people, and, and because part of the Christmas story is that God would supernaturally make Mary pregnant because the child that she would give birth to, if you've heard the song, Mary, did you know, when you kissed that child, you've kissed the face of God. Wow. And when Mary shared that story and Joseph shared that story, they thought Mary was asleep around and Joseph was an idiot for believing it. Who would believe that? So he couldn't leave her there because the penalty for being asleep around was execution. And Joseph had to keep her alive. So her only choice was get on the donkey and ride. So he took her. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to a son who was her firstborn. She wrapped him in a blanket, laid him in a manger, which is a fancy word for a feeding trough. I have a wonderful friend who claims to be an atheist, and yet she watches oftentimes our service, and, and I love her dearly. She said, hey, that whole dunking people in water, don't you do that in a watering trough kind of thing? What's up with that? And if you've ever been to a baptism service at New Life, we dunk people in a water trough. We figure if Jesus could be born and laid in a feeding trough, we can baptize people in a water trough. So that's sort of how that goes. And she, she wrapped him in a blanket, laid him in that manger because there was no available guest room in the hostel where they were. And there were sheep herders camping in the neighborhood, and they had set night watches over their sheep. And suddenly God's angels stood among them, and God's glory blazed around them, and they were terrified. Imagine right now if this place lit up with the blazing glory of God, and a voice started coming from somewhere up there that sounded very supernatural. I'm, I'm guessing most I would find most of you on the ground. I'm sh- pretty sure that's where they were. It was terrifying, but the news was great. And the angel said, don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event. Follow with me. Christmas is the event that literally changed the world. It's why... In this whole portion of the world, and in fact the majority of the world, our dates are B.C. and A.D., right? B.C., before Christ, A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord, after the year of our Lord. Huh. Changed the world. Goes on to say, this is a great and joyful event, 
It's why we sing silly songs. It's why we celebrate because there's something worth celebrating. Here, we're going to dig into it. And it is meant for everybody. As I sat and pondered this, I thought, can I think of any other event or any other gift in the entire history of the world that actually is meant for everybody? That's a big deal. goes on to say, a savior. I want you to sort of mark that word in your mind. He's going to say it here twice. A savior has just been born to you in Davidstown. A savior who is Messiah and master. Just let this sit with you for a minute. In no other religion in the world is there any mention of a savior. In no other religion in the world is someone coming to help you. In no other religion in the world is there anything about someone who would come and save you from yourself or anything that you have done. That, my friends, is unique to Jesus. And that's why this event stands alone as the single event in human history that actually blesses the whole world. He goes on to say, This is what you're to look for, a baby wrapped in a blanket and lying in a feeding trough. That will not be hard to find, my friends. There's only one of those, right? May have only been one of those ever in history, I don't know. But I know in Bethlehem town that night, there was only one. And at once the angel was joined by a huge angelic choir singing God's praises. Why God's praises? Easy. God is about ready to do something that is literally otherworldly. It's not like anything you and I would ever come up with. It's not like anything you and I would ever do. And they were singing God's praises because what God was about ready to do was to lay on the world a gift of love and grace that staggers the human imagination. Because that's who God is. He's that good. He's that generous. He's that loving. Goes on to say this. Glory to God in heavenly heights. Peace to all men and women on earth. His favor now rests on them. God's favor rests on you and me right now. From that day forward. Actually, it was on them before. They just didn't know it. Now they had a visible demonstration of God's favor that rested on them. As the angel choir withdrew into the heaven, the sheep herders talked it over. Let's go over to Bethlehem as fast as we can, and let's see for ourselves what God has revealed to us. And they left running and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the feeding trough, and seeing was believing for them. And they told everyone they met. Now I want you to fast forward 30 years. And the little baby in the manger is now launching his ministry in Israel, and he begins to preach. I can well imagine however many sheep herders there were that night, they had to be among the first followers of Jesus, don't you think? Because they knew that was the baby that they went to see in Bethlehem, and they didn't forget what the angel had said to them and what the angels sang. They told everyone they met what the angels had said about this child, and all who heard the sheep herders were impressed. Mary kept all these things to herself, holding them dear and deep within herself, 
and the sheep herders returned and let loose. I don't know if these guys could sing or not. I don't know. But you know what's amazing? Jesus turned a bunch of sheep herders into pastors and worship leaders. That's pretty cool, don't you think? That, that's the beginning of the transformation, glorifying and praising God for everything they had heard and seen, and it turned out exactly the way they had been told. So in this promise of peace and God's favor, I started to unfold this a little bit last week. I want to unfold, unfold it a little deeper today because it's the real message of Christmas, and it's a message of freedom. It's a message of freedom from bondage. It's a message of deliverance. It's a message of tremendous hope. And it's a message of eternity. And so we're going to look at one other passage of Scripture who are one of the followers of Jesus who who Jesus asked to write more than half of the Newer Testament in your Bible and mine. A guy who hated Jesus a guy who hated Jesus' followers, but when he encountered Jesus personally, it revolutionized his life, and he spent the rest of his life as one of the most avid and devoted followers of Jesus. And this is how he wrote about how the good news of Jesus changed his life. He's telling us that God is intentionally drawing near to those who have been drawn away from him. Let's focus on that for a minute. He's intentionally drawing near. That's the message of Christmas. And there's a second surprise in this message, and that is that the promised Messiah was actually God himself. Now think about that for a minute. The Jewish nation had long awaited their promised Messiah, and they always figured it would be a godly man who would rise to be a ruler in the nation and he would lead the Jews to conquer the world and he would rule the world righteously. But no one in their wild imaginations had ever dreamed that the promised Messiah wouldn't be someone God sent. That the promised Messiah would be God himself coming. Wow. The second surprise is this, that God was inviting us to approach him not based on what we do, but based on what he would do for us. This again is unique to Christianity. In no other religion in the world does God come. In no other religion in the world is a savior promised. And I don't mean to speak disparagingly of any other religion. This is just what makes Christmas unique. And it's what makes following Jesus unique. I was telling you a while ago about Paul. Here's what Paul said. God saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. That, my friends, is why the angels broke into a praise for God, because it was God who did this on his own. Not because we begged him for it, not because we asked him for it, but because of his own purpose and his own grace and his own goodness. God said, I'm not sending someone. I'm going. I'm leaving heaven. I'm going to earth. 
I would love to have been a mouse in the corner when God announced that. Because he had been announcing all along the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming. And the Bible tells us that the angels long to look into that. Can you imagine what happened in heaven the day that God said, okay, it's time. It's time for the Messiah. And the angels are all waiting. Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Is it going to be one of us? Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? And God says, no, I'm going myself. I can imagine you could hear a collective gasp in heaven. You're what? Yeah, I'm going. Those are my people. Those are my children. I'm going. I'm going to go be with them. They're lost. They're walking in darkness. They're groping and they're guessing and they're stumbling. You ever do that in the dark? Do you have any furniture finders on your feet? I do. They're called toes, right? Yeah. When we stumble in the darkness, it hurts. And God says, I'm going to go be the light. So Paul writes and says, the grace has now been revealed through what? The appearing of our Savior. What do we call that? That's Christmas, isn't it? The appearing of our Savior, the Messiah Jesus, who has destroyed death and who has brought, look at this, life and immortality to what? What's the next word? Light. To rescue us from that darkness. Through what? The good news of Jesus. So I have some letters, and I'm a wor- I want to walk my way through them rather rapidly, but hopefully they will be a visual reminder to you of how this works. And the first letter is the letter R, and it's going to stand for restitution. Every religion in the world understands that you and I have done things that are not good and in some way they ha- we have to be held accountable for them. So every religion in the world except for the one that Jesus founded teaches some form of restitution. It could be done via karma. It could be done by going to the temple and offering sacrifices. It could be done a, a bunch of different ways. But the bottom line is... You've got stuff that's not right in your life, and you have to make restitution for it. Jesus came along, and he said, I have a different word. The A stands for atonement. What if, instead of you having to make restitution for every wrong thing that you've ever done, what if I just pay for it, and I pay the penalty for it, and I atone for your sin? In this, there's bondage. In this, there's absolute freedom. In this, you have to figure out what the restitution is and how much and all that kind of stuff. In this, Jesus just said, I paid it all. That's why he came to be our Savior, to rescue us from that. Now, when it comes to restitution, we're going to talk about C for compliance. And this is really easy for us to get wrong in Christianity. Very easy for us to think that Jesus came to set, to give us a set of rules and our job is to comply, right? And I think a few months ago I said, in in many cases you could summarize what sometimes pastors preach as comply or fry, right? Yeah, it's about compliance. It could be the eightfold path. It could be the five pillars. It could be 
all sorts of things. Every religion has a different step of rules that you have to comply with. And based upon how well you comply, you can have a measure of hope. Jesus came along and said, what if I just forgave? Right up front. What if I paid the penalty for your sin and I offered you 100% forgiveness? No restitution needed. No compliance needed. That's a whole different thing. What if I just forgave? There's bondage in this. There's freedom in this. When it comes to restitution and it comes to compliance, that requires a lot of human effort, doesn't it? A lot of human effort. And we talked last week about effort uh, plus negotiation in order to get our peace with God. On, on the other hand, Jesus came and said, what if it wasn't about effort? What if it was about trust? So the T stands for trust. What if we could just trust that God would forgive us and trust that Jesus actually is the Savior of the world and trust that if he said, I've paid the penalty for your sins, that we could believe that and accept it at face value and we could open our hearts to it. And what if Jesus promised then to transform our lives And we could just open our hearts and accept that and begin to walk in that. There's bondage in this effort, effort, effort. There's freedom in this. The question mark is here because on this side of the ledger, the question is, how much is enough? When it comes to effort, when it comes to compliance, When it comes to restitution, how much is enough? You know what the most commonly thought thing is? Here it is. If my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, I'm in. On paper, that makes sense. But so did putting a bell around the neck of the cat to the mice. On paper, it looked good. In real life, it didn't work very well. Huh. Do you realize that none of us actually believes that? You know how I know? If you had an employee and they stole from you 49% of the time, but they didn't steal from you 51% of the time, would you keep them? We say, well, that's good enough for me. I mean, their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds. If you had a girlfriend or a boyfriend you were thinking about marrying and they lied to you 49 times out of 100, but 51% of the time they told you the truth, would you be on board with that? No, you'd run. Because in the end, you and I both know it's not about our good deeds outweighing our bad deeds. Anybody could do that. That's nothing. We wouldn't accept that from each other. So that brings up the question, how much restitution is enough? How much compliance is enough? And the answer is, nobody knows. So you just keep trying. That's why there's bondage in this. How about this? Jesus said, how much is enough? He said, I gave it all. And as Jesus 
was hanging on the cross, giving his life for you and me. He said three words, and those three words changed your life and mine. He said, it is finished. How much is enough? It's all done. All done. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his life. Because the penalty for your sins and mine was then paid. As Paul writes, he says that Jesus brought to light. He shined a light on two very important things that you and I both want. And one is life. It's a good thing. How should we live? How should we interact with our fellow human being? What should be most important to us in life? What's the real source of joy and peace and hope and all the things that light up the human soul and and light us up personally? Jesus came to bring that to light. And the teachings of Jesus have lit up the lives of billions of people in history. There's no Savior like him. But he also brought to light one other thing. Smallest letter, longest result, immortality. Do you realize every religion in the world deals with immortality in some way? Because none of us is willing to believe in terms of there are isolated individuals, but no culture from the beginning of time has ever been willing to believe that there is no life after this life. And Jesus said, you're right. Let me tell you about that. And in the end, that's why Christmas Day is the day that changed the world. Because we officially got to quit guessing about life and guessing about immortality and trying to put together religions that we think would please whatever being or beings are out there. And for the first time in history, God came and just lit it up and said, there it is. Take a look at it. I came that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. And so I just want to end with this, with this question. And I want it to sit on us, not from a guilt standpoint at all, from a hope standpoint. And that is, this can be the Christmas where every, everything changes for you. Will it be? And I want to speak primarily to two groups of people as we bring this to a close. And the first group of people are people that come to church regularly. You may come to this church regularly. But somehow you've been drawn away from the simple message of Jesus. And it's sort of a humdrum for you. This could be the Christmas that Jesus lights you up again. And you realize how incredibly blessed am I that God would leave heaven and he would come to earth and that he would actually give his life so that I could really live and I could be forgiven and I could live with him forever. And God could give you a fresh newness to that. For some of us, we've been drawn away because we went to church as a kid And we had an encounter with a Sunday school teacher and he or she left their impression on us and we were like, I am never doing this again. 
As, as one lady had said to me a while back, by the time I was 16, I had enough church to last me for a lifetime. I'm out of there. Okay? And some of us have been drawn away from God because we had an encounter with a Sunday school teacher or a pastor or a priest or a nun or what it doesn't make any difference what the title is or what the church was. This could be the Christmas where you look past all that and you say, there's a Jesus back in there somewhere and that's what I want. And for some of us, the story of Jesus is fresh. On the on the card that you got in your program on the way in, there, is, there are a number of, of options that are there. I want to give you those options right now. And then we're going to light our candles in a minute, but this all ties in together. And that is, the first option is I'm entering into a first-time relationship with God. If that fits you, then please check that. As we leave, we're going to have guest services, people at the doors. You can put these in regardless of what you check or don't check. Um, Secondly, I would like to know what you offer for kids' birth through sixth grade. I would like info about your junior high and high school. I have questions about new life. It's just a time for you to connect with us and for us to give you information. But if if you check the first option, uh, we have out in the lobby, we have... um, New Believers Quick Start packets, they are disappearing two or three or four a week. In fact, last week, maybe about 10. So how about that? God's at work in our church. That's such an awesome thing. If that's you today, I don't want you to miss out on that. Now listen, underneath your chairs, you you will find a candle. I'll give you a moment just to bend down. And if you have a kid sitting next to you, you have my permission to say to the kid, hey, would you pick mine up, please? So one of the reasons that we do a candlelight service, uh, first of all, I want to prepare you. In a moment, the lights are going to go down, all right? So don't think that we lost electricity. They'll come back up, all right? But one of the reasons that we do a candlelight service is in the passage I just read to you, Paul writes and says that Jesus brought life and immortality to light. And he himself said, I am the light of the world. And so the principal reason that we would light a candle on, on, at our Christmas Eve service is we light it in honor of the light of the world, who is Jesus. So um, that's why we're going to do this. If you're at a place in your life where you're not ready to do that, then you don't have to do that. You could light it for a different reason. You could light it because you like the look in the room when it's all dark and everybody has a candle. You know, it's sort of like it's the old school version of waving your cell phone with a flashlight on, all right? So you could light it for that reason. I don't really care, but I, I really want to encourage you, if you're at a place in your life where you could light this in honor of the light of the world, then let's do that. A couple things about lighting your candle, okay? Um, the guest services people will come and light the candles of people uh, on the aisles, and then you're going to light each other's candles Okay, please, if your candle is lit, don't do this to your neighbor and pour hot wax all over their hand while you're lighting their candle. Let them come over and get the light from you. Does that make sense? All right, we'd like everyone to be happy about that. So I'm going to pray, and then the worship band's going to begin to sing, and we're going to light our candles in honor of Jesus. Lord Jesus, 
Thank you, thank you, thank you for being the light of the world. Thank you for coming and being the Savior. Thank you for paying the penalty of our sins and just giving us forgiveness. Would you give us grace now to trust you? We light these candles in your honor. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.